Hey, I'm Bruce Weinstein, and this is the podcast Cooking with Bruce and Mark. And I'm Mark Scarborough, and together Bruce and I have written three dozen cookbooks, including the upcoming Instant Air Fryer Bible, a step-by-step instruction manual for instant brand air fryers like the Omni and the Vortex, although you can use it with any air fryer you have, as well as, get this for the summer, a cookbook called A La Mode, a dessert pairing cookbook in which every dessert, whatever it is, is paired with an ice cream flavor. Mm. Mm, it's Every recipe is a double recipe for the dessert and the ice cream that goes with it. Who couldn't love A La Mode shot by our beloved photographer Eric Metzger in a beautiful, woody interior environment, which doesn't scream summer, but is certainly gorgeous. But none of that is part of this episode of Cooking with Bruce and Mar. Instead, we're going to be talking about chilies. Bruce has got an interview with Tara Bench, the author of Delicious Gatherings. We're going to do a one-minute cooking tip, as we always do, and talk about what's making us happy in food this week. So what's up first? We are talking about chilies and uh, why we love food that hurts so bad. Yeah, I should say that when I was a kid, I had a really bad reaction to chilies always. It wasn't just once, always. They would make my lips blow up. I mean, I would look like, I don't know, Jocelyn Wilderstein or whoever she is. I mean, my lips would be like giant, puffy, gross. You were quite a gringo living in Texas. I look like <laughs> Melanie Griffith with my injected lips. And even as a child, I look like Melanie Griffith. So <laughs> anyway... <laughs> they would make my lips blow up and my tongue turn really beet red. Really, I had this like crazy reaction to chilies. And I couldn't We Of course, I grew up in Texas and I couldn't eat Mexican food. Mm. I couldn't eat Tex-Mex food because of the chilies. We would go to a restaurant and I would order hamburger. Now, these days, <laughs> I, the food cannot be hot enough for me. So things have all changed. But it's life. good to know that there is more to heat than chilies, right? There's more flavor. Yes, there's much more. sweet, there's sour, there's salty, there's umami. Yes, and I, people who say, oh, I don't like, you know, I, I don't like the chilies because I don't like it to burn. What they are is they are missing what else is there besides the chemical burn right. from a chili. Chilies have amazing ranges of flavor. They do have amazing ranges of flavor. But I want to talk about flavor in general. One of the things that I think is really important to talk about is sensation. Right, so yeah. you we all That's know right. about sweet, salty, umami, and even the texture of food, but people don't think about the sensation of food, like the tingling of bubbles on your on your tongue from champagne, mm. right? right, or the numbing of the Sichuan chili peppers, which isn't heat, it's just a numbing. Yep. Or when you drink very astringent wine or astringent apples, the tannins. Or bitters. Yeah. Or uh, what do they call Amaro yep. and aperitifs. And the coolness from mint and, of course, the burn of chilies. No, we don't. In Western culture, we tend not to think about the sensation of eating. We tend to, that is, the textural sensation of the eating itself, what it feels like, not what it tastes like, as if your mouth is fingertips. Wow, <laughs> that's gross. That's out of some horrible horror film as if your mouth is fingertips or a terrible poem yeah. oh yeah <laughs> my mouth was the fingers of the world um and yeah. it- <laughs> Explore the world with your tongue. Uh, wow. One city at a time. Oh, I think I already have. <laughs> anyway, um, so, uh, sorry. Uh, sorry, children, as Uncle Roger would say. Um, anyway, uh, listen, the, the, t- the sensation and texture is really important, as Bruce said, because there are all these different kinds of, of, 
tactile, I want to say, although, that, again, that's about fingertips, tactile sensations to eating, and chilies provide part of that tactile sensation. In the scientific world, this is referred to as the trigeminal sense, right? Because your right. trigeminal nerve is the nerve in your face and your mm -hmm. mouth, and mm -hmm. so when food affects the trigeminal nerve, it affects the feel, it affects your face and your mouth, and you have the feeling, the sensation of food. Which brings us back to chilies, right? It does, which is great, because they offer both the traditional flavors of sweet and salty and umami and as well as the heat. So they could be complex and fruity and also burn. So in other words, they're flavorful and trigeminal or something. Trigeminally sensual. <laughs> <Yes>. Something <laughs> like that. There's a word there. I just don't know what it is. The writer, I have no idea what it is, but there's a word there. Anyway, a Chile's level of burn is measured, uh, you probably know this, by Scoville units. It's pretty common at this point. It's in supermarkets. Um, you can often see it, especially in up-end supermarkets like Whole Foods or Central Market in Texas. You can see them label their chilies by the Scoville units. And let me just tell you a little bit about the Scoville units. It's kind of interesting. It was actually invented by a farmer pharmacist in the early part of the 20th century, Wilbur Scoville. And what he did is he took the various levels of burns in chilies, and all of that burn is caused by what chemical? Capsaicin. Right. It's one burn. It's like the only thing that gets you drunk in vodka, rum, wine, beer is ethanol. The only thing that burns you in a chili is capsaicin. Everything else are the residual flavonids and the changing dynamics of the biostructure of the chili. Sugars and the, right. everything that makes the other flavors go on. Exactly. So what, Scov what Scoville did is he took these things and he watered them down. He took the capsaicin in any chili and he started water watering it down with sugar water. And the point was how much sugar water does it take to make the chili finally neutral? And he got a bunch of panelists together and he kept, you know, adding sugar water and sugar water and sugar water to whatever amount of capsaicin came out of that chili until it was finally rendered tasteless, where they didn't know that there was any chili oil there. So that's why the higher the number, the hotter the chili. It doesn't do that number like 50,000 Scoville units or 10,000 Scoville for, units. For a reef or one of those Death it, Reaper chilies. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't indicate how hot the chili is actually, although, of course, course it does mm -hmm. what it indicates is how much sugar water would you have to add to this chili to render it finely neutral in flavor it's yeah. an interesting little it's just a little quirk to the thing of course problem, the, higher the higher number it means the hotter it is but that has a problem doesn't it it has Built -in a huge problem. it has several problems and here's the problem one people have various taste receptors in their mouths and various amounts of them so just because he convened a panel list of people together who tried out these chilies, it doesn't mean you're going to have the same sensation from them. It means these specific people did. Two, people react to sugar differently. The sugar is changing the equation itself because, listen, if you have a lot of sweet receptors in your mouth, you're going to suddenly find that the chili is neutralized more quickly because your taste sensations are going to notice the sugar in his sugar water solutions. And so you may not experience the chilies on the same Scoville heat level that he did. And finally, he did this over days in which people sat at tables and drank chili water, <laughs> chili sugar water, for days and days on end. And a 
imagine the palate fatigue that mm-hmm. can set in at doing this. So all this this problem with measuring and the Scoville units of measure is all problematic, although it's still greatly in use. People still talk about it, and it's probably yeah. still useful as a general yeah, idea. Yeah, as a general as idea. It, like, you know, like we, we know that jalapenos are not as hot as habaneros. We know that as, in fact, the truth, and there's Scoville units it seems to indicate that, that yeah, right? That. But I wouldn't use it as a go-to certainty. I saw recently a supermarket, um, when we were uh, researching this show, I saw a supermarket, um, uh, what do I want to say, display of chilies, and it seemed really stupid to me because it like claimed that these jalapenos were 181 Scoville units, and these jalapeno chilies were 295 Scoville units. And I thought to myself, okay, that's, way, that's getting way too precise for this very imprecise way to measure chili. And most people couldn't even tell the difference between, you know, 180, 225 Scoville yeah, units. Seems, that's too close. It seems really silly. And here are some interesting facts about chilies and capsaicin. You know, some chilies take 20 or 30 seconds before you feel the heat. Others are immediate and some fade relatively quickly while others linger for hours. Right. That's right. That all partly has to do with the amount of capsaicin, the concentration of it. The, the way other sugars and everything else in correct. the chili. The other sugars. Um, and you should know, in case you don't know this, that capsaicin, the heat stuff, is fat soluble. Mm. So reaching for a beer or reaching for an iced tea does no good. Once that capsaicin sinks into your tissues, into your cheeks, into your gums, <laughs> into your tongue. Yes, even Bruce and I have eaten Chinese food hot enough that it's in your gums. Even butter or olive oil won't wash it away completely, no. but that's a good attempt. So if you really do have something that's been too hot and your mouth is burning, have a swig of whole milk, like gargle, rinse your mouth with cream. <laughs> That's a really good suggestion. The, if, if you eat a lot of Tex-Mex food, as I used to do as a Texan, then the answer is a buttered tortilla. It really is because the it's not the tortilla. It's the butter in the tortilla that will help to strip the capsaicin out of your mouth. You should know that a capsaicin, the hot stuff in chilies, is, uh, what do I want to say, reactive in mammals, but it's non-reactive in birds. Yeah, they have no capsaicin receptors, and that is so they can eat chilies and fly away and scatter those seeds mm. around. Poop out. Poop oh, out those seeds. You didn't seeds. want to say it, but I said it. Well, unlike humans, which have what we call a Kung Pao morning, um, oh. day, because oh. capsaicin does not get broken down in your body so it comes out as hot as it went in one of the things that may be interesting about chilies is this research done by john hayes at the department of food science at the university of pennsylvania you want to talk about that sure well he interviewed 250 volunteers and he found that chili lovers were indeed more likely to be sensation seekers than people who avoided chilies yeah interestingly in other words to put it crassly Chili lovers tend to be roller coaster riders, or they tend to be people who seek out sensational experiences in some way. And they scored higher on a personality trait called sensitivity to reward, which means Mm. it's how drawn we are to praise. These are people who want praise, (laughs) want attention, want external reinforcement more than other people. Interesting. They get pleasure from that. Now I... I teach Edith Wharton in front of 200 and I eat really hot chilies. So I'm getting a lot of back backward reward for what I do. That's interesting. I, I think that that's probably true. I think it's probably part of the sensational aspect of eating that we out of 
former Western food culture, which was largely French and Russian food culture, which we discounted. And so we didn't, well, you know, I mean, honestly, listen, I love a fine French bistro, but let's face it, the textural sensations are not necessarily grandiose inside the food served yeah. in a French bistro. No. And I think that that is part of what has happened here. And so we have people who want to seek out, you know, you don't have to be as crazy as uh, what's his name on Dangerous Foods or what was his? What was it? Andrew Zimmern and Bizarre Foods. Bizarre Foods, right. See, I don't even know these people. This tells you how much TV I watch. Bizarre Foods. So um, you don't have to be as crazy as that and go after crazy sensations, but I do think it's part of the attractiveness of Chili's itself. Before we get on to segment two, let me remind you that it would be great if you could to rate this podcast. It would be greater if you would drop a comment, subscribe to this podcast so that you don't miss a moment of it. Again, we are an unsponsored podcast, so we are doing this for the sheer love of it and for the sheer joy of being able to connect with you, which you can do by finding us on Instagram under our own name, on Facebook, and in our Facebook group, Cooking with Bruce and Mark. Okay, up next, our one-minute cooking tip. Wear surgical gloves when you are working with chilies, and then, even then, when you take the gloves off, rub your hands in oil and wash them well before touching your face or other tender areas. <laughs> it's the other tender areas that, that make could be your laugh. eyes, yeah, or that, your nose. If you're a boy, just don't touch it. Don't pee. Don't touch right it after working with a jalapeno. Don't touch it's, it. Yeah, it's wearing weather gloves is the key. Now, remember again. Fat soluble. Capsaicin is fat soluble. So wild dish washing detergent or hand soap can work for capsaicin. The best way to get it off your hands is to pour a little oil into your hands, rub it all around, and then take the dish yep, soap to that's it. That's it. That is the way to truly get rid of it. Okay, up next, Bruce's interview with Tara Bench, the author of Delicious Gatherings. Today, I am so happy to be speaking with Tara Bench, the creative culinary force behind the website, TaraTeaspoon.com. She's also the author of the upcoming book this fall, Delicious Gatherings, Recipes to Celebrate Together. Hey, Tara, how are you? Hi, I'm so good. Thanks for having me. You know, we all know how stressful cooking for a party can be. And right up front, you offer a success secret in your new book, and it's something I couldn't agree with more. Uh, you say, read your recipe beforehand. Why don't you tell me why that's so important? Oh, I'm glad you agree with it. And as a fellow cookbook author, you know that you're providing people with these lovely written recipes in books. And if they just follow the directions and do it, they'll enjoy cooking. They will have complete success. And I think that's what I'm inviting people to do is just remember to read that recipe and the ingredient list through first. It helps you so that you don't get in the middle of a recipe and say, oh my goodness, I don't have that, or I don't have enough, or I didn't leave myself enough time. But it allows you to read through that method and your brain kind of makes that recipe before you get cooking. And so you know what's coming, you know how long something's going to take. And I just feel like that will allow you to have that success and that enjoyment while you're cooking. Couldn't agree more. Your first chapter in the book you call Gather Around Dinners. That sounds so cozy and wonderful. And you claim your brother Landon inspired this idea. So what's it about? And how does it make things easier? It, it does, I hope. And these menus that I've provided, I think, are a great 
path to gathering people together around food, which is my passion. It's what I've been doing my whole adult life of cooking. It brings me joy. I think everybody around me loves eating good food and getting together. But you know, when I was creating this cookbook, I said to my brother, what should I put in my second cookbook? And he said, you know, just tell me what to make. I don't want to have to figure out what side dishes go with what main dish and what to put with what and what flavors go with what. I just want to know what to make and I'll make it. So that gave me the idea to give people menus for entire meals, you know, of varied styles for varied occasions that they can customize. But really, it's just a guide for what flavors go together and maybe what colors and textures and main dishes and side dishes. I want people to use these menus as a guide, but also if they just don't want to think about it, it's all there for them. And I love you photograph these as family style meals, which makes it so much easier, doesn't it? That's the way I like to serve and cook. It's not fancy. It's not plated. It's just inviting. So menu planning, as you said, is really hard for a lot of people, even when it comes to grilling and barbecuing, which you know we think could be kind of easy. So tell me about the grill party in your book and why this kind of approach will work for everyone. Yeah, it's sort of a basic blueprint for a menu. I love the idea, especially with the grill party menu that I've created, that some of it's store-bought and some of it's homemade. And so how nice is that to be able to compile those ingredients and flavors and have a really fun party meal? I've given options for vegetarian grilled veggie skewers to steak and chimichurri. And then you can go the route of buying hot dogs and broth and making your own toppings for those, you know, a cheese sauce, caramelized onions, peppers, things like that, that you can put on store-bought items to really spruce them up. But it makes your life easier. Everybody's happy. You have a varied kind of menu. And that's what I've tried to bring together in some of these menu options. When it comes to everyday gatherings, you say you like to plan your menus around the main event. And the nice thing about that is after reading through your book, it doesn't have to be a huge roast or an elaborate to-do. So what are some fun options to consider instead? I think a weeknight dinner can be simple, but it can be impressive and flavorful and different. And so I have an entire chapter of main dishes that aren't necessarily that roast turkey or, you know, filet mignon, but they are lovely enough that you could serve guests. So I have things like a mushroom risotto or a white pesto pasta with broccoli. And while they're simple and comforting, they are also impressive enough if you are going to bring a crowd together. But really, they're great for a Wednesday night dinner too. So I think main dishes, it's really just presenting it as that wonderful flavor bursting meal and you can put side dishes with them or not, but they can be simple. They can be fancy. You know, I have a tomato and white bean soup that is so comforting and you could put a grilled cheese sandwich with it or serve it with a lovely meal of, you know, roast meat and pasta. So that's my main dish chapter. And I love that people can just pick and choose and make it what they want. I love the idea that a soup could be a main dish. So sharing at breakfast is always a great way to start the day. And you offer up some delicious classics like chocolate babka. The photo in the book made my mouth water. Oh, thank you. Granola pancakes, yum. But there's a stand down in this chapter. And that's your coconut cream sweet rolls. 
Please tell me about them. Thank you for asking about that. It's dear to my heart recipe because I've been working on it for so long. Those coconut cream rolls were actually supposed to be in my first cookbook. I created them, developed them, and they weren't perfect. We shot them and I took them out of the first book. And so I spent another year and a half really honing that recipe because in my mind, it was like this amazing recipe. So I got it to the point where I'm so excited to share it. It's just the delightful sweet bread. It's a cinnamon roll dough that's light and fluffy. Here's my side secret. It's kind of like a German chocolate cake frosting. It's that creamy coconut sort of flavor with this just lovely buttery creamy sauce. And so that is rolled into these rolls and then I've topped it with a coconut cream cheese frosting. So if you pass those up, I don't know who you are. I don't even know if I want to know you, but they are great. <laughs> of course, no gathering of anybody around food will be complete without dessert. So what are some of your favorite desserts that are really easy to put together? So I'm a sweet tooth. So I love a dessert chapter and I have so many desserts that are almost sentimental to me and I put some of them in the book. So standouts that are family favorites and sentimental like that are the apple cake. I've grown up with that. We always had it at special occasions, but it's very easy and homey as well. And then I have a coconut cake. It is just the most moist, soft coconut cake. But how can you pass up cookies when you're doing a dessert chapter? Because those are my comfort food. So I have created several cookies for this chapter. Some are classics like snickerdoodles. And another one is this creation that just came to me because I love peanut butter and chocolate, but peanut butter chips in cookies are sometimes kind of lackluster. So I made quick homemade peanut butter chips, just melting some white chocolate, stirring peanut butter in, and they make the most amazing peanut butter puddles in these cookies. But I also have a fun dessert that I think you'll love the story when you read it. And it's called Secret Chocolate Cake. And I tell my readers that they're not supposed to have this recipe and there's a story behind it. It was a very hard recipe to get from an old family friend. And it's really good. So I'm glad to be able to share it. I am going to steal your phrase, peanut butter puddles. And that is going to be my new, I think that'll become my password. Tara Bench, her new upcoming book, is Delicious Gatherings, Recipes to Celebrate Together. She is a culinary force behind TaraTeaspoon.com. Tara, thank you so much for spending some time and talking about the recipes in your new book. Thank you for having me. You're a joy, and it was so nice to be able to chat. Wow, a menu book, a book about entertaining, a book about parties. If you need help with that, Tara is clearly the person that you want to seek out. That was a really great interview, Bruce. I did, uh, I'm did. i sure that uh, you had a much fun doing that. Yeah, she was great to talk to. She was really good. So, segment four. What's making us happy in food this week? And I'm going to go first, okay. and it's still in the chili world. It's Erjing Tao chilies. Oh my. Those are the chilies of Sichuan. Those are the, and the thing is, they're not the hottest chilies in the world. No. And when you buy them dried, they should still be a little pliable and they're very long and they're very fruity and there's a little sweetness to them, but they're still heat and they're complex and it's not always easy to find them, but I love them. What do they look like? They look like long, thin chilies. That oh maybe six or six inches long. They're dark, dark red when they're dried, which is the only way you get them. Um, The seeds don't go all the way down to the tip, which is nice.
nice. They're easy to de-seed if you want to get rid of the seeds, but I find that I can use them. I throw them in whole in a lot of braises and stews, and then we eat them because they actually get a sweetness to them. I have a friend in Austin who, when I lived in Austin, and we would go out for Chinese food, she would sit there picking them out of the stir-fry and just eating them one by one by yeah, one. Yeah, I don't know if those are urging Taos, but uh, oh, that, they're, they're I don't know, they favorites. were awfully hot. Yeah. So I, Probably but, not then. But uh, I could, back then I couldn't do it. Now, <laughs> I'm sure I could. Okay, what's making me happy in food this week is this thing called horseradish cheddar. You should check it out sometime. Check it out at your supermarket. You can find various brands of horseradish cheddar. It's generally a super soft cheese. It's spreadable like butter at room temperature, and it is nose spanking spicy and lately I have just been craving it on a cracker. I haven't slathered on a cracker before my glass of bourbon each evening. So I am all about the horseradish cheddar lately and I love it. It makes me extremely happy. So that's the podcast. That is our podcast all about chilies, why we love them, why they hurt and why we keep going back to them. We had a great one minute cooking tip. Horseradish cheddar. It's part of that, right? It's yeah, part of it the burns sensational too. It is experience. part of the, the, the trigeminal sensualness of food. Mm, yeah. Interesting. And we had a great interview with Tara Bench. We talked about what's making us happy. You're going to wear gloves and not touch yourself after you work with chilies. <laughs> and, and let me also say, remember, it reacts to mammals. When you war- work with chilies, watch out. Also touching children, mm. your own children, <laughs> and watch out touching, touching your dogs. Yeah. Seriously, and your cats. Be very careful, especially around their eyes. Yeah. And we will see you again for another great episode of Cooking with Bruce and Mark next week.